What a powerful, powerful thought. He holds the future in his hands. You know, Jesus is the only religious leader who died, came back to life, and is still alive. Listen, someone can have a heart attack and they can bring you back to life, but guess what? You're going to die again. Jesus Christ set himself apart from the entire world because he is alive today. And that song says we can face the future because he lives. And today on Resurrection Sunday, I offer you words of hope. I offer you words of confidence that our God is alive, that he loves us and he cares for us. And our life is hidden with God in Christ. Come on, give him a big hand today. He is worthy of all our praise. Well, as you're being seated, tell your neighbor you're looking extra good today. And you that are at home, we're glad you're watching. I hope you've taken your slippers off and got your last cup of coffee. But uh, I, I almost had a crisis and couldn't come to this last service. Not true story. I got a message from my youngest child. Let me know when your baby texts you. She said, Daddy, there is a red wasp flying around the kitchen. You got to come home right now. And I said, Honey, you're 21 years of old. Swat that thing and step on it. Now, anyway, she was here last night. It's an honor to have you with us today, worshiping the Lord on this very special day. As I woke up this morning, it was dark outside. I'm not a big fan of daylight savings time. But I've been thinking the last few days what was going on over 2,000 years ago. What happened on Good Friday, what was going on on Saturday, the life that Jesus, the Thursday night when he had his, his, uh, uh, he had his last supper with his disciples. But when I woke up this morning, I was thinking about Simon Peter. Simon Peter would become the leader of the Jerusalem church. He was one of the greats, but yet 2,000 years ago on this Sunday morning, Peter was a hopeless man. Peter had watched Jesus die on Friday. He was buried in a tomb. The stone had sealed it. Roman soldiers were there. And let me know, when you kill the leader in an authoritarian government, then you go and you kill the rest of the leaders and you put down the uprising. He probably wasn't in his own home. He didn't sleep in his own bed. And uh, as he lay there, I doubt he slept much. He was wondering what today is going to, what's going to happen today. Well, you know what? Mary Magdalene had gone to the tomb and she'd seen an angel. And history records that that angel told her, he is not here. He is alive. Go tell Peter and the gang that he's going to meet them soon. And can you imagine how Peter felt and the transformation he happened, that happened to him when she told him that? He was in that dark little room. He got up and he ran to the empty tomb and a hopeless man became hopeful. Listen, friends, this is the power of transformation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we'll talk about today. I hope I can present it in a way that's meaningful to you. But I want to step back a couple days first to the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, did you know that science proves the biblical account of the crucifixion? Let me say that again. Science Modern-day science proves the account of the crucifixion. There was an article that was published in the International Geology Review. That is a peer-reviewed uh, uh, periodical uh, that's produced for geologists around the world. And in this study, they started at Matthew 27, verse 54. In verse 54, while Jesus is on the cross... There's a Roman officer and other soldiers who were at the crucifixion. They were terrified by an earthquake. 
And they said, this man truly was the son of God. So they did this study to try to find out, was there really an earthquake that happened at the crucifixion of Christ? And if so, when was it? So they used astronomical data. They used the history of seismic activity in the region. And they concluded in their study that on Friday, April 3rd, 33 AD, there was an earthquake at the same time that Jesus was crucified. Listen, our Christian faith is not a leap in the dark our Christian faith is a well-grounded in history and archaeology and uh, uh, the language of apologetics shows us that a thinking person can and should be a Christian. Because listen, friends, it's the greatest life you'll ever live. It has not only historical validation, but it has billions of people around the world who've experienced transformation because of Jesus Christ. From the crucifixion, there's two events, actually, the greatest events in the history of the world, the crucifixion and the resurrection. I mean, the crucifixion was where our sins were paid for on the cross. The resurrection was the first resurrection we'll follow with the promise of eternal life. And this is the foundation of the Christian faith. It is the foundation of our theology. But the question that I'd like to address this morning is, why did Jesus go through this? Why did Jesus go through the pain of the crucifixion and all that associated with it? What motivated him? And I will suggest to you, it's what Jesus himself said in arguably the most popular scripture in the world, John 3.16. And I want you to say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Jesus said, God loved the world. And it's the world is not just the planet earth. I mean, no, God created it, but God is, is less concerned about the planet. I mean, he's going to actually create a new heaven and a new earth. In case you didn't know that, both Peter and the book of Revelation tell us that. But it's not the earth itself that God died for. It's people like you and me. And as you think about that scripture, maybe we could say it this way, for God so loved John. For God so loved Pat. For God so loved Mary Lou. And God so loved Steve. And God so loved Cole. And God so loved Brittany that he gave his only son to us. This is the, the heart of it, that God loves us so much. He gave his son on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. It's like, let's say you bought a, 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 a beautiful a truck and... Uh, he was an arm and a leg, but you wanted it, you needed it, you justified it, and you're riding that baby around. But, uh, uh, but the problem is you, you lost your job, you lost some contracts, and you can't make your payments. And you start getting letters in the mail, and they tell you that the repo man's coming in 60, 90 days, whatever they show up at. And if you can imagine, you drive that truck for the last time on, on Thursday night and Friday morning, he's coming, and you're there with tears. And all of a sudden, somebody walks up to you, and they say, what do you owe on that truck? And you say, I owe $49,232.17. And he writes a check. And he gives it to the, to the repo man when he comes. The repo man looks at it and says, somebody else paid the debt you owe. Keep driving this good-looking Ford truck. Now, you know what I'm talking about today. Or Chevy, whatever you like. But that's what Jesus did. And I want to talk about God's love for us today. I hope I can make it meaningful because outside of the air that we breathe and the food that we need to survive, the greatest need in a human being's life is a need to be loved. I need to know that someone 
cares about me. I had a friend yesterday, his daddy would, had surgery and it was, uh, it, dad was in bad shape, had to drive him to the hospital. Well, guess what? The son said, dad, I, I, I'll take you. I'll take care of you. Why? Because I love you. See, everybody wants someone to protect us, someone that's bigger and stronger to be able to provide for us, someone to be able to give us a confidence that we're going to be okay. It's like, it's like a little girl in, in, in a thunderstorm. She gets out of her bed in the middle of the night because of the loud clap and the loud thunder, and she says, Daddy, I'm scared. Can I get in bed with you? And Daddy just gets her in there, and he snuggles with her a little bit, and he and Mommy tell her it's going to be okay. Everybody wants to be loved. Nobody wants to be alone. Nobody wants to be isolated. Nobody wants to live a life in solitary confinement. And the word that I bring you today is God loves us in ways that are unimaginable. And hopefully today in these few moments that I can share some of this with you. I want to talk about, I've entitled the message, The Power of Love. And I want to illustrate it in the life of Jesus Christ. I want to start in John chapter 1, The Power of Love Displayed by a Lamb. In John chapter 1, Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. He's 30 years of age. And John the Baptist says these words. He told his disciples he sees Jesus coming towards him and said the strangest thing. John said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Another translation says he is God's Passover Lamb. He forgives the sins of the world. Why in the world would John the Baptist call Jesus a, a baby lamb? It's a good question. I, likely if somebody called you an elephant today, you'd get offended because they thought you were talking about your weight. Or if they called you a giraffe, you would, you know, you'd get offended because they thought you were saying they had a long neck. But there was a prophetic significance about the words, the Lamb of God. Specifically, the Passover lamb. I want to go back in time with you. In the ancient Jewish uh, religion, the Israelites, of course, had gone to Egypt. They went there under Joseph. They were heroes. They were 70 people. Joseph had preserved the world in a famine. They grew, to scholars believe, from one to two million people. And somewhere in the process, Pharaoh had made them slaves. And it was God's intent that he would bring his people out of, the, out of slavery and bondage and bring them to the promised land. And he used Moses. And Moses went to, uh, went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I'm not going to do it. They're too valuable to me. And God sent nine plagues to visit the Egyptian people. And none of them worked. Pharaoh still held on while Egypt was destroyed. But the last plague, the tenth plague, a death angel would come. And what the Israelites did, if you can see this picture behind me, every Israelite was told uh, that they were to take a lamb and sacrifice it. See, we can't relate to this as, as Americans. Many would call it gory. But if you go back in time, beginning with Adam, Adam and Eve, when Adam was left the Garden of Eden because of his sin, he didn't go out in fig leaves, but God killed an animal and clothed him with that animal skin. Why? Because the Bible says that life is in the blood... And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So the same God that created gravity is the same God that created the acceptable means of forgiveness for the sins of humanity. And that's what, what it, it was the blood of an animal that was sacrificed. Well, lo and behold, they sacrificed the lamb. They put the blood on the doorpost. And when the death angel passed over, everyone in that home was safe. 
And it was a foreshadowing. It was a picture of Jesus Christ when he would come as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Uh, so if I ask the question, what is the significance of the Passover? You know, Jesus uh, was cru ate the Passover meal before he was crucified. It was at this same season. What's the significance of what Jesus did for us today? And if I could take a moment and give you the most basic foundation of the biblical teaching uh, 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 about, about sin, about redemption, uh, uh, about punishment, and about escaping judgment. The central message of the Bible is wrapped up in this idea of the Passover. It begins in the book of Genesis when Adam's sin brought judgment on the entire human race. Listen to what God said to Adam. Maybe you've wondered why violent weather happens, why tornadoes happen, why do children die a premature death, why is there murder, why is there violence in our streets? Well, I tell you, friends, there was none of this in the Garden of Eden before the fall. There'll be none of it in heaven. But since then, sin is in the earth, and it's like unseen particles in the air. Uh, they're just there, and they affect all of us. And Adam brought it on the human race. Genesis 2.16, the Lord warned him and said, You can freely eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, except the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. And it's not because it was laced with poison. It's because it was an act of rebellion against God. It was an unholy act. It was a sin against a righteous God. Adam and Eve ate it, and the interesting thing happened. He didn't die immediately. But what happened, and we understand this word death, is he was separated from God. He was driven from the Garden of Eden. He no longer had close fellowship with God. That's the same reason. That's the boat that we're in today. And ultimately, though, he literally physically died. That's, what, that, that's where this came from. And the Bible teaches us that all of us have sinned. All of us share in Adam's sin. We are members of the human race. Shame on our political culture for dividing us into black and white and Hispanic and Oriental and gender and sex and all these different things. We are the human race. We are created by one God. He has a plan for our lives. So we are one as members of the human race, but we all share this problem. All of us have sinned. Romans 3.23 says everyone has got it. My three-year-old has got it. My daughter-in-law sent me a picture of him going through uh, Garvin Gardens and looking at the beautiful tulips. And I think he pulled one of the tulips up. <laughs> He's got it. He inherited it from my wife's side of the family. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I'm lost. <laughs> All of us have done wrong. And, and, and we even know that in culture. We have police that arrest people that murder. Uh, child abusers go to jail. The world doesn't call it sin, but that's what the Bible calls it. But what the world doesn't tell us is the wages or the outcome of sin is death. In other words, because all of us have sin, we're all not just separated from God, but one day we're going to physically die, and one day we're going to stand before God on judgment day. Heaven and hell are real, and God doesn't want anyone to go to hell but those that reject him, the Bible says, will. But all of us have sinned, but there is hope by believing and following Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. 
Romans not only told us that the, that the wages of sin is death, but it says the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is the power of love demonstrated to us. Jesus gave himself as the Passover lamb, come on, so that you and I might miss an eternal damnation and live with him forever. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Let me continue to try to illustrate the power of God's love for us. And now let's jump ahead from John 1. Let's go to the latter part of Jesus' life. Let's go to, it would have been here Thursday night. He ate the Passover meal with his disciples. He knew what was coming. Judas was about to betray him. And yet he's going to go to the garden, the garden of Gethsemane to pray. Now let's look at the power of love. Jesus went to Gethsemane and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there to pray. It happened three times. They fell asleep each time. But Jesus said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. So he bows his face to the ground, his face, and he prayed. He said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. In other words, Jesus was the son of God. He loves us. But this was not an easy thing. This was not something that you would rejoice in or be happy to do. Jesus was wrestling and he was struggling inside. He said, if it's possible, take this away from me. But then he said, I want your will to be done. He struggled with death. What would you do if someone said, one of your children needed a kidney transplant. Parents have done it, but I guarantee you it's a hard decision. We've got two kidneys. We only need one, but what if that one goes out? You remember the old movie, John Q? It was a movie, Denzel Washington. And he was a dad. He lost his insurance, and his son had a problem with his heart, and he was going to die unless he had a heart transplant. But it was going to cost a half million dollars. Insurance wouldn't pay for it. He, he was in trouble. He didn't know what to do. So he went to the hospital with a gun with one bullet, and he set up the scenario basically where they're in the operating room. And he tells the doctor, I'm about to take my life. When I take my life, I want you to give my heart to my son. See, this is what Jesus grappled with. But the Bible says this in Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame. What joy? We associate joy with happiness. Joy for Jesus was not Good Friday. Joy for Jesus was an eternity with us. Joy with Jesus is an eternity where he can look at us face to face and call us by name and spend time with us as our God. It's the joy that led him to the cross. Uh, Jesus knew that either we would have to pay the penalty for our sin or he could take our place as a righteous sacrifice. He chose to do it. The scripture says in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I want to illustrate that to you in a, in a video clip with a movie by Kevin Costner um, called uh, The Guardian. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a very intense movie, but Kevin Costner is in the Coast Guard. He's a senior chief. He's recognized as one of the, one of the great people that have saved more lives in the ocean. He's working off uh, in Alaska. 
And uh, obviously, you know, you look at some of these TV shows when they're catching crab in Alaska and those little old tugs are doing that up and down. And, and, and what happens if the ship, if the motor dies or what happens if a storm and tumps it over? How are they going to get rescued? Well, that was what Kevin Costner would do. Well, a call came out at night. A ship had gone down, and Kevin Costner had a protege. He had a, a young man that he was training, that he developed a, an intense bond with. And as the story unfolds, the helicopter goes out to sea. They find them. The men are barely clinging to life in the cold water. Uh, they go down uh, from the helicopter. They go down on a cable. They pick up all the people that are there to be rescued. They get them uh, into the helicopter. And now it's time for them to be rescued by this same helicopter. And look at what happened. Greater love is no man that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus knew we, the human race, were hanging on the end of that cable. And he knew the cable was frayed because of sin, and he knew the cable wouldn't hold us all. And he came as one of us, not only as the Son of God, but the Son of Man. And he came, and he was on that same human race as we were, but he unhooked himself because he knew that unless he were to save us, we'd face an eternity alone from judgment. That's what Jesus did for us. And in some small way, we recognize today that he took our place so we could live forever and ever. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Let me continue to illustrate the power of his love, this time displayed on the actual cross uh, we'll talk about forgiveness. Luke 23, I want you to think of these Roman soldiers. Uh, Roman soldiers uh, crucified people all the time. They probably had a detail of soldiers there, and that was their job. That was the way that, you know, they didn't have uh, long jail sentences like we do today. You wouldn't spend 20, uh, 20 years in jail, and then, you know, somebody would bail you out at the last minute. No, you committed the crime. The next day, you're going to be killed. And the way they would do it is they would crucify people. I want you to imagine, sometimes it was on one pole, sometimes it was on a cross as we have envisioned over here. But imagine these Roman soldiers that, you know, maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, they laid some guy down on that cross and they took nails and drove it in his hands or drove it in her hands. And then they used a little rope to tie him and they put a, a deal under his feet because when he couldn't hold himself up to breathe like that, he'd have to pull himself up to breathe and the pain was excruciating and these Roman soldiers kind of got into it they even made a, a, a crown of thorns and stuck it on Jesus head and they that they, they rolled dice for his clothing 
But as Jesus, when they nailed him to the cross, Luke 23, Jesus said what? Father, forgive them. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was able to forgive them, but Jesus also was able to forgive the disciples who the day before had denied him. He said, please pray with me. I'm struggling. And they fell asleep. And then they ran away from him. And then Peter, the number one, denies him three times in the hearing of Jesus. Jesus forgave them and gave them a new start. Why do I say this? Love made him forgive those who crucified him. Love made him forgive his, his disciples. And love caused Jesus to forgive you and I. And I want you to hear this today. Maybe the most important part of the sermon for some of you. There's nothing that you could do or could have done that God can't forgive. I don't care if you murdered someone. I don't care if you abused a child. I don't care if you raped someone. I don't care if you are an old clansman or a new clansman looking for your opportunity to, to show hatred to a black person. Or maybe you're a black panther and you want to show hatred towards a white person. I don't care what you've done in this life or how evil you've been. I don't care if you're one of these people in New York City recently that took a knife and slashed a grandmother just as she walked down the street. I don't care what you might have done, friends. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ is great enough to forgive us. And I want to tell you today, you don't have to walk out of this church building any longer with shame and with guilt because of your past. Because he whom the Son sets free, come on, is free indeed. He washes it away just as if it doesn't exist any longer. Let's go deeper here. Jesus' love made relationship with God possible. Here's something. I, I, I was raised in church, grateful mom had me go to church. I knew about God. I memorized John 3:16 in Little Country Methodist Church. But I didn't have a real relationship with God. My relationship with God was something like this. God, I'm taking a test. <laughs> I didn't study much. Would you please help me get a good grade? My prayer was on, on a playing baseball, and it's the bottom of the seventh inning, and I'm the batter, and it's two outs, and we're down by a run or two. God, would you please help me get a base hit and not strike out? My prayer was like as a 19-year-old when I'd been out with my friends drinking beer and the road to my home through what was called the cold water bottom was flooded and the water was splashing onto the road, but it wasn't yet closed. And I knew I was in no shape to drive, so I pulled over to the side of the road and I said, God, would you please help me get across this and get home safely? And when I got home safely, I guess I said, thank you, but I put him back on the shelf. I didn't have a relationship with God. God was just like an Uber driver or God was just like a carryout. Uh, he used the app to buy, you know, buy, buy your chicken at Chick-fil-A. But God wants us to have relationship with him. Relationship with him now and for all eternity. He made this possible. In Matthew 27, 46, it's three in the afternoon, and Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this is where the sin of the world was placed on Jesus' shoulders on that cross. And God is Father, whom they'd known relationship with in the, in the oneness of the Trinity for all eternity, was, was severed. 
He cried out with a loud voice and he gave up his spirit again, a willing act. But now I want you to listen to this next scripture. I think it's the most profound of the day. Jesus said in John 19, it is, say it again, finished. I'll talk about that. He bowed his head and he died. But at the moment, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It was ripped. Let's talk about both of these. What does it mean? It was finished. What was finished? The only means of salvation where God and man could be reunited, and I say man generically of the human race, where God and the sinful humanity could be reunited. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I love people of other religions, but I'm sorry, other religions won't get you to heaven. You say, you're narrow-minded, preacher. Maybe I am. But I'm sticking with the words of Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. All definitive articles. No one comes to the Father but by him. You say, why, pastor? Aren't there many roads to heaven? No, there was only one cross. There was only one perfect Savior. There was only one Passover lamb that gave himself for the sins of the world so we might know him. And when it was finished, what Jesus meant was the way of salvation is paid. Good works won't get you to heaven. Giving money won't get you to heaven. Doing kind things won't get you to heaven. Living a righteous life won't get you to heaven because all of us are sinners and all of us need a Savior. It is finished. What is the significance of this curtain that was torn? A little history. The first picture is, is what's presumed to be the tent in the wilderness. In other words, it was the church that moved with Moses through the wilderness. Here you have the high priest standing behind him. There's the, well, there's the, the table of the showbread. There's the incense. There's these different articles. But you see in front of the priest that tall curtain. That curtain separated him from what was called the most holy place. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments were inside. Uh, 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 manna was inside. And, and what was on the top were two angels, two cherubim. And I want you to picture a small bowl that was there. It was called the mercy seat. And once a year, this, the histor historical Bible. Listen, the Bible is not a book of stories. The Bible is a book of eyewitness accounts of what's happened in our history and the history of the world. And for the history of the Jewish people, this high priest would go once a year behind that curtain, but he would only go with bloodshed, a lamb that was shed, his blood that was shed. Why? To atone or to cover for the sins of the people. Why? Because the Bible says the life is in the blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, according to the Scripture. The God who made the law of gravity made the criteria for forgiveness and once a year, the high priest would go behind this curtain. Well, one day, look at the next picture, Herod's temple. And Herod's temple was built. And now this curtain is, according to the historian Josephus, it's 60 foot tall, 30 feet wide, and four inches thick. And when Jesus said it is finished, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. 
God probably sent an angel. And what that meant was no longer do you need the high priest to go once a year with some blood. The eternal sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice has taken your sins away. Listen, no more need for bloodshed, but now you have access to God. Now you can get on your knees when you pray and you can say, my Father who lives in heaven. He is not the man upstairs. He is the God who is near. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. I'm going to wrap up with this thought about the power of love. And I want to go back with Peter, the guy that we started with. You remember now, it's Saturday morning. Peter is wondering what's going to happen. Is he going to be arrested? Now it's Sunday morning and it's dark outside. Well, the power of love can give people hope and make fearful people bold and unafraid. This is for us. This is the application today. Matthew 28, it's the dawn of the first day of the week, Sunday morning. This is why in the Christian tradition we worship on Sunday, Sunday morning. Uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord rolled back the stone and sat on it. And think about these powerful Roman soldiers that the day before, two days before, had nailed nails into his hands. And now for fear of him, these guards are trembling on the ground. And they became like dead men. You think there's some power in the world that can stop God? Do you think the reset in the world's political climate is going to stop God? Do you think the United Nations or our Congress or our president through executive order can stop God? I'm telling you, friends, all God's got to do is to shout, to blow, to do his fingers or whatever he wants to, and they're gone. I want to tell you, there's no power greater than our God, and that power manifested itself. The stone is rolled away. The guards are trembling. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. The most frequently quoted phrase in the entire Bible is, fear not. I want you to hear this today. This is speaking to us. Fear not. Uh, uh, Don't be afraid. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Say it with me for... He has risen. And Mark's gospel adds this. It says, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Three simple words. He has risen. Changes everything. Hopeless Peter is sitting in the house. Mary knocks on the door. His heart is beating. He's afraid. It's the Roman soldiers. And she said, Peter, it's me. He said, tough man. Went to the gym a lot, worked out. It's me. He said, come inside, quickly. She said, what is it? We went to the tomb, and the stone has been rolled away. And an angel told us, Jesus is alive. And Peter began to think, he said that. He said that. I heard him say that. And he tapped John on the shoulder, and he said, come on, let's go see. And they run, and they run, and they get there. And hopelessness is turning into hope when they see the empty tomb, when they see the grave clothes, the shroud laying on a side there, and they realize our Savior is not dead, but our Savior is alive. And my friends, because of that, Peter was transformed. He was transformed into a man of courage because of the resurrection. He would go and he would lead the Jerusalem church and he would preach, friends, to the same Jewish people that crucified Jesus. Peter would say to them and then he would talk about Jesus who you crucified. Something happened because of the resurrection, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, and because of the love of God. It changed that man's life. 
And church tradition records for us that this same Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified by the Lord. I want to tell you, friends, the resurrection changes everything. It turns hopelessness into hope and fear into courage. And that, my friends, is the historical account of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Give him a big hand today. He is worthy of all our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're going to close our service today. I, I, I want you to, to hear a word from one of our pastors on staff, Pastor Mike. Uh, perhaps the greatest proof of the power of God's love is a changed life. Now, tune off Cracker Barrel just a second. Because this is the most engaging part of the service for you. See, the question is now, now what? Christianity is not just the accumulation of head knowledge. It's not just a belief in biblical fact. Christianity is a defining moment in life when a person decides to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Just because Jesus made forgiveness available doesn't mean that everyone receives it. And I'd like to take just a moment or two as I, I'm going to ask him a question or two about his own life. And I want you to look in the mirror of your soul. And perhaps today could be the greatest day of your life. The day in which you find a new beginning in your relationship with God. Pastor Mike, did you go to, uh, uh, to church as a boy? Yeah, my parents drug me there, and we were there usually late, went to the first row, walked in front of everybody. It was a little Lutheran church, a little town called Clay Center, Nebraska. So went to Sunday school, learned the scriptures you did, God so loved the world, yeah. went through catechism. So I had a lot of head knowledge and had a fear of God in my life. Well, you're a little older now, and you know a little bit more. Would you say, looking back on your life, that you were a Christian uh, uh, when you went to that little church there? Well, at least... While I was young, I was doing Christian things, but when I got to college, it became pretty obvious that I wasn't living a Christian lifestyle at all. I kind of was going more after the things of the world, and, and lucky uh, I survived a lot of those things. So if there had to be some evidence or proof in your life that you were a Christian when you were in college, you would say not much. Yeah, there wouldn't be much. No. So what happened? I mean, you've been a member of our, well, you've been on staff. You've been my partner and friend for 30 years. You're, a, you're as dedicated a Christian man as I know. What, what, what changed you? What happened? Well, last week when you preached, I got saved. No, no. <laughs> no. Don't I'm going to baptize him, too, from the Methodist tradition. I'm going to sprinkle him. <laughs> now, he has pursued my dreams. Uh, and in the midst of that, God used those things to get my attention. Uh, I was playing professional football. I went to a chapel service right before the game thinking... Hey, God would see me, it'd be good luck, or one of the coaches would see me, you know, think I'm a good guy or something, play me. But I just followed Walter, Walter Payton there, or these guys that I knew were good players. But when I went there, a guy asked a very simple question that really just kind of set me back. He said, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? And it just kind of had to think about it. I said, well, maybe I do more good than bad. Maybe I can talk my way, and I'm just really reasoning things in my mind. But I also had this feeling like... Man, I ought to be really, really happy now. I've reached my goal. I've got a nice wife, car, house. 
but it was like something was missing. I'm thinking that, and he's drawing a circle on his chest. He said, you know what that is? He said, that's a God hole. You can try putting whatever you want in there, and it won't satisfy you. You can try putting, uh, you know, money, cars, women, whatever. It'll never satisfy you. The only thing that'll satisfy you is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So now he's really got my attention. And he's talking about sin, and he said, the wages of sin is death. And, you know, if you work at Taco Bell for a week, and uh, at the end of the week, if they don't pay you, you can take them to court, because why? They owe you a wage. Well, the Bible says God owes us a wage for our sin. It's separation from God to a place called hell. But he also said the gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. You can't earn it. And he said this scripture at a John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gives the power to become children of God. It was like, what makes these lights come on? I mean, do you have to pay the electric bill or flip the switch? It's kind of both, isn't it? There's got to be, the power's got to be available, but you have to flip that switch. And I realized that day, the power was available. I mean, Jesus had died on that cross, paid for my sin. I didn't do anything to earn it, but what did I have to do? I had to flip the switch. As many as received him, they become children of God. And it's like if you were to tell a million lies, how many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? Just one. If you're to commit a million sins, how many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? Just one. So we all sin, right? And we really need a Savior. And that, my eyes were open that day. And when he asked, he said, if you want to ask Christ in your life, I want you to raise your hand. We're going to say a prayer. And that was a tough thing for me to do with the other football players there. But I realized that day, man, this was between me and God. And God wasn't going to force his way into my life. He was knocking at the doors of my heart. And that day I realized I need to open that door. And the way I did that was I raised my hand. I repeated a little prayer. After that, God asked Christ into my life. And you know what? Nothing supernatural happened. There was no angels come out of the sky to give me high fives, no bolt of lightning or anything. But I began to have a peace like I never had before. And I began to sense God's love and plan for my life. Matter of fact, he wrote, gave me a little book, 12th Man in the Huddle, Testimonies from Other Football Players. He wrote April 14th, 1984. He said, you're going to look back on that date and you're going to see a change in your life. And that's what you were talking about, Pastor. I'm telling you, one of the greatest miracles. I mean, he healed my daughter when the doctor said she wouldn't walk or talk. That's a miracle. And I give God glory four days after I got saved. But you know, the greatest miracle is when God changes a life. And I know where I was going. And just like your story, but my life turned around that day. And so as you're here today, one of the greatest things you can do on Easter is receive the free gift of God's salvation. And he won't force his way in, but you can invite him in today before you go home. You can know where you're going to spend eternity. And not that. God will give you the power to be a better husband, a better father, a better wife, or whatever the case may be. Because he's for you, not against you. And so today, I'm going to count to three to give you a chance to think about this. And if you want to ask Christ in your life, when I count to three, I want you to hold up your hand and hold it up there long enough for me to see it. And we're going to say a prayer together. And by saying that prayer, you're not necessarily joining the church, but what you're doing is asking God to come live in your heart. Jesus, come into your life. You're willing to turn from your way and start to follow him. And he'll give you the power to do that. Something significant will happen on the inside. So on the count of three, if you want to get things right with God, you've gotten off track or you've never asked Christ into your life. And we told him to purposely leave the lights on. Because this is not... I want you to be sure what you're doing. I want you to be bold about it. Because what you're doing is saying, hey, I want everybody to know, especially the devil who's been trying to put me out and take me out, that I'm following Jesus from now on. So on the count of three, if that's you, hold your hand up. One, two, three. 
See your hands, both hands over there. See your hands. God bless you all the way over there, over there, over there. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. 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 See your hands. God bless you. Amen. You know, young man, you got both hands lifted up. You know what that is? That's our surrender, God. You come and take over. Amen. I'm proud of you. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what let's do. Before, Go ahead, before you pray for them, I want to ask this, make this appeal. Perhaps you're here and you're a Christian. You know that what we've been talking about, you've walked with Christ before. You know what it means to be serious with God. You know what it means to try to love God with all your heart. You know what it means to put God first. But life just happened. Maybe you got busy, maybe you got successful, maybe sin got a stronghold, maybe you got disappointed, a prayer wasn't answered, whatever it was, but your spiritual life took a nosedive and you're kind of plateaued now or you're kind of in a rut and you want a, a fresh start, you want a new beginning with Jesus Christ in your life today. I can't think of a better day to make a fresh commitment to Christ, recommitting your life than right now. If that's you, we'd like to pray for you too. Would you lift your hand and say, I want to recommit my life to Christ. God bless you, sir. And God bless you too, buddy. God bless you and you and you. Others, I'm recommitting my life to Christ. I'm recommitting my life to Christ today. I want to be the person he's created me to be. Amen. Here's what I'd like to do. First of all, when one person does that, the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice. And so we give God glory. But I'm going to ask you to do something kind of bold, just a picture of walking away from your old life into a new one. I'm going to ask you to come and stand here so we can say a prayer together. It's, come on, and people are going to give you a big round of applause because we've all done this at some point. Come on down. If you raise your hand, whether it's the first time or you've done it before, come on and step down here. Amen. Proud of you, Daddy. Amen. I know you've done this before. It's a good way to lead your son down here. Come on, let's give him a hand. God bless you. We're proud of you. Amen, amen, amen. Bringing his kids, too. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Anybody else that feels you need to be here, come on down. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. There you go. We're going to say this prayer together, all of you out there, too, and declare Jesus is Lord over our lives. But just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me. Give me the power to be a better person, to follow you. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. And I receive your power to be able to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You remember this day. Amen. Easter. We're going to believe for a new beginning. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing as they close service. And actually, we have a couple baptisms. But if you just follow me through those doors to so that uh, our conference room, we'll just be a second. I want a little book to give you and something to help you really on your walk with the Lord, okay? Just follow me over there. Follow Clint right there. Come on, let's give him a big hand. Pastor Travis is going to do a baptism. Amen. I don't know a better way to celebrate the resurrection than to have some baptisms here. And we're just excited about what the Lord has done. But why don't you state your name and why you're being baptized today? My name is Tristan. Uh, crap, sorry. <laughs> uh, I want to dedicate my life to God. And that's about it. I don't... You're, amen. That's it. We're proud of you. 
extend a hand to Tristan right now. Lord, we thank you for this young man. We thank you for his commitment to follow you. Lord, right now we baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name. Be filled. Amen. Come on, church. Yeah. It's a little cold today. Please state your name and why you're being baptized. Shelly Long, and I want to dedicate my life, and I want to live for the Lord for the rest of my life. Amen. We're proud of you. It's her birthday as well. Yeah. Well, Lord, we thank you for your daughter. We thank you that you love her, that you care about her. Lord, right now we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name. Be filled. Amen. Come on, church. Amen. One more here. Please state your name and why you're being baptized. My name is Matthew Long. Uh, the reason I'm being baptized, I want to dedicate the rest of my life for the purposes of God's will in order to change this country and get it back to restoration like it was once before. And this represents a, a resurrection of mine and Shelly. My wife was just baptized. We've been separated for two years and he brought us back together. And I got my family back. And this represents a resurrection of our marriage. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you'd ever like to get baptized, just call our church office and we'll arrange that. Let's extend a hand right now. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you that you love him, that you care about him. Right now, we baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, be filled. Amen. Come on, church. Awesome. Listen, we are so glad that you are here today. It's a great day just to continue to worship the Lord. We're going to have another song. Our prayer team's coming up if you need any extra prayer. Uh, other than that, we'll see you back next week. God bless.